everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Music Works, a podcast by Polyphony Arts. We're thrilled to welcome today's guest, Dr. Kate Blackstone. Kate is a musician and music psychologist with a PhD from the University of Leeds. In this episode, we will discuss the obstacles, issues and how people call it the struggle that performers face when transitioning from conservatoire to professional life. We will soon head over to the Music Works studio where Kate is waiting, but first here is an advert from our sponsor. Music Works is sponsored by the Musicians' Union. I'm a member of the Musicians' Union. It's the trade union for musicians living and or working in the UK, and it's a community of 32,000 members working to protect musicians' rights and campaigning for a fairer industry, as well as campaigning to fix streaming and keep musicians working in the EU post-Brexit The union collectively bargains for musicians working in orchestras and theatres and sets minimum recommended rates for freelance musicians working in other sectors. Its expert staff provide contract advice, legal advice and assistance and a range of benefits and services to help musicians in every aspect of their work. Be part of something bigger and get the recognition you deserve. Join now at themu.org. Hi Kate, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, it's nice to see you this uh, early Friday morning. It is, yeah, great to talk again, great to see you again. Um, So today we're talking to Dr Kate Blackstone, uh, musician and music psychologist, and we're going to talk about transitioning out of conservatoire and into a performance career. And what better guest could we have to talk about this than Kate, who has in fact completed a PhD on this exact topic from the University of Leeds. So um, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about this, Kate. I'm excited to hear about your research. Yeah, um, it's really nice to be able to come on and talk about it because I feel like it's sort of one of those subjects which people thankfully haven't really got bored of yet, that that people are generally (laughs) quite interested. Even other musicians who I talk to are interested in well, what did you find out? And I met someone once who was like, who then introduced me to someone else in a bar and they said, this is Kate. She's writing about the struggle. <laughs> they just said, uh-huh. she's writing about the struggle. And I was like, That's what we oh, should call right. this episode. The struggle. The yeah. struggle. And I thought, wow, what a word. But um, yeah. there were, of course, elements of that. Any sort of period of change is, is difficult. Mm. <laughs> so then it makes sense that what you might want to call it the struggle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the struggle. <laughs> Let's I can't believe I've, I've used that now. It's like I know that's happening. So, what, but we do. So, I mean, obviously, we we've talked about um, this has been touched on on this podcast several times um, mm-hmm. in sort of talking to various musicians about their careers, um, and it's something that I see in my work a lot is the the impact of um, training, uh, both positive and perhaps challenges involved in that and then what happens when you kind of come out of that world and into becoming a professional so I'd love to hear your 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 overview of the struggle (laughs) my overview goodness me how to how to boil down one PhD thesis um yeah (laughs) I suppose (laughs) now you put me on the spot Katie how do I how do I even begin um I suppose one of the main things to say actually when I first started the research is I was super convinced that the whole reason why this struggle existed, because I should probably go back and say, I am a musician. I am a music college graduate. I was at the RNCM from 2007 to 2011. So that's now 10 years ago. Almost doesn't bear thinking about. Um, But yeah, so when I started, when I started this, 
this sort of uh, journey of research. It didn't really start with the PhD. It started before then because I was doing a master's in music psychology and I was just looking at education, music education in general. Um, I was a busy teacher. I am still a busy teacher in a sort of a different way. Um, but I just looked at the way that we educated young musicians and I was thinking specifically about teenagers at that point. I was doing a lot of work with teenagers. And then I touched upon some work by a lady called Dawn Bennett, who um, is based in Australia. Um, and she does she's done some amazing work about conservatoire graduate transitions. And I read her work and I thought, oh, right. Because at that time I was working as a teacher and I was quite happy, but I saw myself and other people like, sort of doing down the work that we do people would go what are you up to and you'd say oh well I'm just teaching or I'm just depping or whatever that would be um and I started to think to myself well why why do we say that about ourselves when actually other people look at us and say we're very successful why do we not feel successful in ourselves and I started reading Dawn's work and I started looking at some of Rosie Perkins's work from um Royal College and then I thought wait, there's a gap for me to do my own work in this and, and to find out more. And I've got a friend who says that we are sometimes, as PhD students, tr striving to answer a question from our own, <laughs> our own youth, our like unspent teenage angst. And I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that there was a lot of it when I first started the research, I was very convinced that um, it was like, it was definitely a fault of my education that I had poor, poor self-esteem as a musician. I had poor self-esteem, quite a bad view of myself. Um, and also that I didn't really know what to do or what I was capable of. And that was surely my music college's fault. Sorry, RNCM. Uh, but actually it wasn't. So not sorry, RNCM. Um, <laughs> it wasn't. It was actually a, a combination of things, including a combination of the messaging that I had received throughout my life as a musician, even pre-college, whilst I was in school maybe. Um, and yeah, that was the, one of the main things that came out of the research was actually that we just all the time have quite a narrow view about what we're capable of, about what, what music careers exist, and also what music careers are worthy, what, what music careers are the ones that we should be holding up like the gold standards, the glittery ones. And like, actually, there's so much that we as music graduates are capable of. And there's so many amazing things that musicians do. And actually, it's quite interesting, um, Katie, I made, I made a little note um, whilst you were introducing me, um, because you said um, it's about musicians going into performance careers. And actually, I now try and break away from performance career as the thing mm. I I generally call it music career. So then the work that I did, I talked about um, sort of performance jobs, which were the the playing, the playing of the music or for composers, although I didn't um, really spend much time with them, the composing of the music, um, the kind of core thing, we called those the performance jobs. And then what I did is I then had a category of what we call performance adjacent jobs, which were the jobs that the things like the teaching, the arranging, um, the workshop leading, all of the stuff that actually, if you didn't have that skill in performance, you would be nowhere. And that's mm -hmm. what we always forget. And that's what I forgot, I think, that really, it really came out in the experiences of these people that I interviewed was that they were doing all sorts of things because they were great performers. And it wasn't 
necessarily instead of performance, although it may have started that way. Um, and it wasn't lesser to performance. It was just sort of adjacent. It wasn't a non-music job. Sometimes we, we categorise mm. things very black and white. It's not music if you're not, if you're teaching, right? Well, I'd like you to, I'd like to see someone teach without an actual knowledge of clarinet. <laughs> I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be quite something, wouldn't it? (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, that was the main, the main finding ultimately was that we, that we think that maybe it's going to be quite performance based. We have quite a narrow view. And then as graduates move into the profession, it becomes more of a, a, a very music career with music performance or music itself at the heart, but actually Mm -hmm there's so much more out there that people are doing and that people are finding job satisfaction from. Yeah, absolutely. And actually thinking about the term performance career, it's quite loaded in my mm. mind. I'm sure it is in most, in whether in the same way or not, but that it certainly comes to me um, on reflection with a whole load of expectations about what exactly that means. Whereas music career could be anything. I mean, I never perform and I have a music career. So, you know, um, it's, a, it's a, it, yeah, the uh, the portfolio career and the, the, the career that comes out of being a trained musician is a very different feel to it, a very different mm. message to it than the performance career. And, and I'm very open about the fact that I have my own hang-ups when it comes to things like that. I make I make sure that I'm a mention in my biography that I still play, even though that very much does go in peaks and troughs. Sometimes I'm gigging every week. Sometimes I haven't had a gig for six months, like not quite six months yet. But as is the case, I've really not played that much over the past few months. And that's something I'm trying to find my way into again. But I always make sure that I mention it because also I get worried that if we're talking about the the sort of establishing musicians that I deal with, I know that quite a lot of them still have the hang, not the hang up as such, but the sort of idea that, well, the most worthy careers are the performance careers. And I think, well, what if they don't listen to me? What if they think, oh, well, she only does this because she's a failed musician, which is something that I could have easily, I could have easily felt that as you know that we I joke with my students about it but we all have that sort of sometimes have that evil voice don't we that comes out and when we're having a low moment and that's my my evil voice's favorite one is that like you only do this because you rubbish at the clarinet which is so stupid because it's not true that's so um, interesting isn't it that so like that voice that that, that yeah. being the for a musician being a failed musician has to be like the absolute worse doesn't it like just the the very worst thing you could ever (laughs) say to somebody yeah and I think everyone carries that fear big time that they'll somehow should be they'll somehow be shown up as a fraud or as a um or or as like not being as good as they say they are or not being worthy of whatever it is that they're doing yeah and I I know when I am at my you know mentally strongest I can see it for what it is it is just to hang up that it's just but it's also got it's got very distinct sources it's not just oh, a hang yeah. up that magically appears in everyone's brains individually without any kind of like mob mentality there is it no and it was actually a, a huge challenge for me I remember talking about this to my supervisor Karen when I was doing the research so the way that I did the research is I um interviewed um estab- what I called establishing musicians which were people who were sort of one two years out of music college to five years out of music college this kind of spread of people 
um, who had done music career, uh, had done sorry music degrees at conservatoire level, and then had gone on to um, have careers in music. And we were we weren't just talking like performance and portfolio careers. Some of these people had become teachers, um, and some of these people had like one had gone on to do piano tuning as well as as still playing, but. Um, so I interviewed this this group of people and then also I went to get some more data by interviewing some um, musicians who were just out of music college. So some of them were like fresh from final recitals, like if they hadn't already done it, they were doing it next week. You know, we were looking at these and it was a huge challenge for me listening to some of the things that were being said um, and thinking. And my, and I said to my, my supervisor, Karen, I was like, I felt really annoyed. I felt really annoyed when I heard that person say that. And she was like, yeah, I can see it gets under your skin. Like, that's normal, by the way. Mm. <laughs> but it was it it was hard to hear some of this stuff because I was thinking, like, I'm not going to tell you. But, I mean, it wasn't my place to tell them about myself anyway because it was academic research. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, I don't want you to know about me because you probably think that I'm a failure then as well. Um, Which is interesting because actually you could say, I mean, yeah, obviously, um the point is not for them to know about you but but the, actually there's more affinity there than uh, than it would yeah. be <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and it wasn't my place to to give any of these people advice although I did give a fact sheet at the end that was like we might have touched upon things you've never thought about before and actually people emailed yeah. me afterwards and said actually you had and thank you because it made me realize that I've got some big questions to answer yeah what like, okay cool power um, of research right there but um, yeah, it was it, it was a real it was a real challenge actually coming head on with some of these these attitudes, and I realised that it's not it's not anyone's fault. That's society. We have mm. attitudes that we have to challenge, or that maybe need tweaking a little bit or shaping um, in every area of society, not just music. But um, yeah, it was a challenge, and and I was very much within that research. Like you can't take yourself out of that. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting when I've, I because I offer one of the things that I do in my company is I um, offer co like strategic coaching and career coaching mm. and sometimes coaching as I'm sure you know is a very it's it's not an advice based thing it's very much the answers come from within the person who's being coached and it's your job as the coach to stay very neutral and and encourage this out of you and the I the I started coaching thinking that I would love to coach people who I really had a huge affinity with which I do love doing but also they're the hardest people to coach because when their problems are articulated it's it's important well it's very very difficult to stay neutral <laughs> and you're kind of going oh <laughs> you know yeah, awful. I really feel that and I really you know whereas when you're talking to someone who has a problem that you don't really directly relate to it's a lot easier to maintain that space of um of being this sort of neutral party that bounces ideas and yeah, yeah that mirror sometimes yeah. is hard it really it sort yeah. of cracks you open in places that yeah you, that you well, didn't realize because you can hold it for the out for the coaching hour and then afterwards you're like oh god <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah interesting so tell me then about um about the research and, and the findings because i'm think i'm assuming that with a topic like this a lot of people have experienced so, so like I have quite a lot of presuppositions about what this research might have shown um you know that we all have experience in this area of like either being a college graduate or talking to college graduates and knowing anecdotal experience w was there anything in the research that surprised you 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, it is funny, isn't it, doing, for me, when I first started doing the research, what you just said, actually, I worried about this. I thought, am I just going to sort of confirm what I already thought? And then mm. that, if that happens, that's, well, that's not good research. <laughs> that's yeah. not good research because I could have created that without actually meeting any of these people. Um, but what it did show, I mean, in a, in a sense, it, it did, it, it confirmed sort of the, the basic thought, which was that if we're going back to that word struggle, <laughs> we're back again, <laughs> um, is that it is hard. But it was it was nice to sort of be able to really delve into the fact of why is this difficult, and mm. also my so my masters was in applied psychology of music, and one of the things about the Leeds department in general is that they like to keep the research very applied. We're always talking about well, sort of what's the point of doing this research? What what will it inform in the future? Um, which I really appreciate. Um, and yeah, so so my research, I do think, can really inform future future sort of policy and um, and just careers programs in general. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out for me that I wasn't expecting that came out of quite new research that was also being done elsewhere was that um, previously in psychology. So we talk about. Um, change and the way that humans cope with change. We use the word transition. So the word transition where you we're using sort of non-academically but if we go into the academic root of that um transition theory um posits that any anything any change that happens to a person that ch that changes roles relationships or responsibilities is difficult and it's something that has to be sort of we have to sort of rearrange our priorities and 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 in some cases our own identity and our view of ourselves in order to get through those things and so i was looking at transition from music college but at and, and previously transition um, research and transition theory sort of suggests that um, there's the time before the transition, there's the time during the transition where things are a bit like, whoa, I really need to renegotiate what my life is right now. Um, and then at the end, we've put it all back in a box, we've filed it away and we've gone, completed it, mate. And actually, <laughs> it turns out that there was some really interesting research coming out of other research groups in organisational psychology, which is sort of the psychology of work and workplaces, that worked, um, that researched gig economy workers. So we were specifically actually looking at, they were looking at artists, people that sort of sell things on Etsy and stuff like that, um, Uber drivers um, and similarly sort of food delivery drivers. They were looking at people that work in the gig economy, not necessarily creatively, but sometimes, um, and freelancers in general, people with what we call boundaryless careers. Um, yeah. They worked with them on their sort of transitions into, uh, into those careers and found that in actual fact, the uncertainty that, that goes around that transition doesn't ever end, <laughs> um, mm. which was a bit of a like, oh, okay. Um, for me and then I looked at the people that I researched and I saw that actually for some of them many of them had been working for many years as freelancers and were very well established but again talked about this uncertainty as something that was actually running as a thread through their lives and didn't look like it was going to end either and it made me think that actually well first of all these researchers and actually for me my research also uh, strongly suggested that actually it's this uncertainty that sometimes is a motivator for musicians um it's a mo it's a motivator it's what keeps us sort of moving 
and keeps us improving. Um, and that sort of was a not a shock to me, but I think that at first I thought, oh, well, people will go through this, then they'll establish themselves and then it's all fine. And actually, that's not the case. And actually now at the age of 33 and knowing musicians and knowing myself, I can see how that could actually continue as a thing that, that we always lived with this uncertainty. So it started me thinking along the lines of, well, I'm not a fan of resilience education in inverted commas being the be all and end all to to our challenges in the music industry because i believe that there are things within the music industry that we should instead be looking to change rather than getting people to become more strong and bulletproof i don't think that that is necessarily you know this what do we say is it the silver bullet or the golden bullet the golden egg and anyway whatever the whatever the metaphor <laughs> is whatever the idiom is that i don't know um i don't think it's that however i do think that there should be a little bit more just honesty <laughs> amongst musicians and with students as well about saying that perhaps you will never achieve the level of stability that you want to that doesn't mean your life will be rubbish. It just means that that is something you're going to have to reckon with. And here are some ways that you can. I think that that was a big thing that I was maybe a bit more surprised about in the research. And it certainly rang true across other professions as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think that it, it's kind of articulating why it's hard, isn't it? Because mm. everyone sort of knows it's hard. Um, but actually... That, that combination of different types of um, of research that has given us indications of what the impact is on our minds and bodies when we're in this state of transition um, really gives a much deeper understanding of why it's hard. And as you say, also the ability to change, or the ability to manage it, because when you actually know, you know, if you... If you... So I think one of the things that um, I found really useful in my career um, or since I've been um, a business owner has been that I have a business coach who occasionally I'll be like oh this thing's happening and I'm really struggling with it and she'll kind of take a step back and go okay you're this many years into your business and you're at this stage in your business growth and actually there are models that show you that at that point sometimes you become for instance more time poor or less time poor or do you know what I mean that there are yeah. there are actual models that show that if what you do is you create a business at this point you'll be here but actually there's all that model also shows you that like 12 months ago you were here and in 12 months time you'll be here and so on and so forth and so like I think for freelance musicians in particular or sort of musicians I wrote down boundaryless careers when you said that because I was like hmm <laughs> there's a there's an emotive phrase in music over there was one um <laughs> But for someone who's constantly trying to build towards goals that are intangible and difficult to achieve, and perhaps when you get there, they're not quite what you thought they were, and so on and so forth. Yeah. There's all this, people can kind of be in this constant state of, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Why is it so difficult? And actually, if you if you take a step back and say, well, actually, here are some reasons why it's difficult, then it must be easier to um, to find coping strategies. Just having someone to say to you sometimes, to just like go this is normal yeah this is normal you're not by yourself one of the things that I one of the things that really motivated me to do this research was the fact that as soon as I said I was thinking about doing it loads of people were like oh my god yeah 
yeah, that was me as well. I felt like that. I felt like that. And none of us really talked about it. It was like this. Mm. I, I really hope, I think that people are now. Uh, there's the podcast things musicians don't talk about and they actually delve into some of these really difficult issues um and it's a really well-named podcast because i found there was this there was just this vote of silence around actually it's really just really tough it's just really tough when you come out of college and maybe things aren't what you thought they were going to be or uh, and there's sort of this what's the word there's this sort of thing isn't there that um, if you talk too much about the gigs that you're doing, like people are like, oh, clang. And then if you complain yeah. that you've not got any gigs, people are like, oh, don't go out with Kate for a drink. She's right, buzzkill. Like that was my that was my worry. So um, yeah. people just don't people just didn't talk about at least when I was leaving, people didn't really talk about these things. And then it wasn't until I started asking people, hey, I'm thinking about doing this research. Do you think it's got legs? But I was just talking to friends and they were all like, and that was how someone was like, oh yeah, Kate's going to do research about the struggle. And then it happened where I was starting to, I would just go out with other musicians who I didn't necessarily, I would know one of them, but then they were playing with other people. And I'd get people coming up to me, like sidling up to me going, so you're going to be doing research about this thing. Let me tell you about in bars people just wanted to tell me about yeah, it and I was yeah. kind of like all right so maybe people do want to talk about this thing but at the time it was very much not talked about um I thought I was the only one sort of suffering in my own like that's not so dramatic but in sort of my own mental state of like you're terrible at this um can't believe you're only teaching like what waste of your degree all these different things and oh, it turned God, out that yeah we believing these things absolutely and then it's all and then because you do when you when you don't have those kind of conversations available to you especially when you're um young or early career and kind of developing your own voice and place in the industry you feel you kind of take you take your cues from what you see other people do and so if you see other people only talking about successes then you think it's not okay to talk about the other stuff as you say so and and you kind of yeah it's just um a lot healthier to have this kind of all-round honesty <laughs> about the whole picture of what's going on. I I even sort of like maybe uh, maybe I'm too sensitive, but I even sort of like um, shudder a bit when people ask, "Oh, you freelance or do you have a job?" It's like freelance. Oh God, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I just I don't like it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree. It's a sort of microaggression, isn't it? That just I kind just of like yeah. <laughs> yeah um, definitely well and because it well it goes to being it, again it goes back to this this societal i suppose thing of uh, musicians being undervalued um and that affects pay and it affects self-esteem and it affects um attitudes to working free um which affects pay and <laughs> self-esteem and uh yeah and I, I mean i remember when i went freelance and i went freelance when my son was a baby and it took quite a lot of um work for me to get my um husband's family to understand that that did not mean that I was available available to look after the baby all of the time because I was like this isn't just a thing that I'm doing when he happens to be not around or in my spare time or while he's napping this is my job it's just that it's a job that I answer to myself for instead of a job that I answer to somebody else for um and it was quite kind of at that point I kind of experienced a bit of a uh, a teaching moment that I needed to deliver about um freelance work being 
you know yeah. a valuable time constrained and important job yeah and it goes hand in hand I think with the idea that sort of the having of the job is the ultimate aim I don't know I met a lot of musicians mm. throughout my research who sort of saw the less established ones the graduates saw freelancing definitely as a spot along the way that was something mm. they were going to do for a bit before they got a job um, yeah. And often that job was really, what do we imply by job? It's a seated orchestral position. That's what we mean by yeah. a job. They yeah. should have a job. They have a job. Um, and actually then when I spoke to lots of the establishing musicians who had been um, in the profession a bit longer, they started to talk about how actually maybe they started freelancing because they thought um, they were going to do that for a bit, but actually realised that they actually quite like freelancing. It gives them a lot mm. of, well, freedom to do lots of different things, choose your work. There are downsides as well, of course, um, but it makes me wonder where is, I don't want to use the word failing, but where is the gap in education that makes people think that freelancing isn't a viable career for your entire life? And, and you're right, it doesn't help that the narrative sort of, hey, from government, viable careers, are we serious? Like, Well, it's been a lot clearer in the last couple of years, hasn't it, where these messages are coming from? Um, uh, yeah. But if you're a business owner, sometimes somehow that's different. But probably a business yeah. owner started out as a sole trader, right? Did they? Absolutely, I mean, yeah. I was, a a sole, I was a sole trader until last year, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and all yeah. and all musicians, all freelance musicians are business owners. Yeah, as well. Uh, every one of them has, um, you know, overheads and expenses and tax returns and yeah. potentially people that help them. You know, they have website designers, they have um, agents, they have so on and so forth. They have people involved, so they have not necessarily staff in the terms of employing people, but you know, teams, as it were. And that attitude is uh, is not is not always how it feels at all. And it it, it you know all of that stuff really impacts on them. Um, how you feel about your career I think because for, and just to stick on this point for one second what, what one of the really big shifts for me from being kind of a sole trader to a business owner mentally was acknowledging that business expenses were essential um because I saw all of my income as being my money and then anything that I had to spend out on to make my business run was like an inconvenience and a um you know money that I was basically not taking into my pocket whereas um after some fairly stern words from my business coach and some really good um, information about the fact that most businesses have operating costs of around 40% as an average, um, suddenly realising that um, basically paying out for expert people to do good things for you as part of your business was a really good thing and massively expanded your horizons. Um, that was a huge learning point for me um, and it's something that I think it's really musicians really struggle to embody that because everything is so tenuous and they don't see themselves as businesses and I don't mean that in any way as a, a criticism I can completely see I can completely see why that would happen um, yeah, so, yeah. I, there are certain teaching weeks that I do where I maybe have got fewer students than I would like because they're all doing exams or whatever it is and I was having a really hard time with that at the beginning of Maybe about Easter, loads of my students went out on GCSEs and I was like, oh man, well, this is, this is, is it worth me? And then I, I talked to my, I had a talk with myself and I was like, the next fortnight are both lost leaders and that's fine to have those, mm. that those two weeks are fine because if you don't go in, the potential damage to your business when these people go 
well, Miss Blackstone's not really that bothered about teaching us and they will go to another teacher, then has a far greater impact. And so mm-hmm. now I try and see it. It's really hard, isn't it, to, yeah. to see the money that you bring in sometimes. You can go, oh, well, if you're earning like a thousand pounds in one week, which does sometimes happen because you get a lot of gigs in or a lot of teaching or whatever, workshops, and then you go, oh, well, if I'm not earning a thousand pounds every week, then it's not worth it. Well, no, <laughs> it spreads out across the year. That's, you know, even... I was going to say Topshop, but they've gone under. Even ASOS sells more T-shirts <laughs> one week than another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's normal as well. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I think there is a lot to be learned from applying a business sort of mindset to, to a freelance career. But yeah, it's um, it all seems to boil down to um, being a lot more honest and open about what it is that um, conservatoire students and graduates actually go through um, and as they progress through um and I do feel like we could carry on talking about this forever because it's so interesting (laughs) and and so relevant and I'm not surprised that everyone wanted to talk to you about it in the pub Um, (laughs) nobody wanted to go on the people would say to me sometimes they would tell me stuff and they would go um or don't tell anyone that I said that or um or or I don't want my name to be on that and I'm like listen unless I signed the consent form this is not going in my research. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, this goes down to anecdotal like reasons why I do the research in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm not interviewing you right now. You're not going to get written up in a PhD thesis, but but it's been yeah. really interesting to talk to you because it was yeah. it's fascinating. I love meeting people. Um, mm. So it was a great opportunity to meet loads of people as well. Fabulous. So, um, yeah, I'm sure and, and, and absolutely uh, amazing for them to have this outlet of, of talking about something and feeling like that information is going somewhere, which sounds yeah. so powerful. So what would your main takeaways be then for someone who's kind of listening to this and going, oh, what do what can I do? What can I how can I manage my transition out of conservatoire? So one of the things that I say all of the time, whenever I do a talk or anything like that, or whenever anyone asks me for like my um evidence is sort of um, try on all the coats and what I mean is I found that one of the things that conservatoires maybe are doing better now but at the time of my research and at the time that my crucially at the time that my participants were at music college one of the things that wasn't being done well was allowing students to, to try out lots of different roles there were like maybe Um, One of the conservatoires calls this proto-professional experience, the idea that you are using, it's like a pre-professional setting. And then if you think about what those pre-professional settings are, they're being in the opera, if you're a singer, either in the chorus or because you get a schedule and you're expected to turn up on time, all those things which are valuable skills, um, or they are being in the orchestra as part of the, as if you're an orchestral musician or they're doing your recital, you know, you've got to organize your rehearsals with your pianist and you've got to show up on time and prepare for that and do those things. So those were the proto-professional experiences that I identified that people were doing. And those were the then therefore the only sort of job roles that people had tried on for size. And actually one of the key drivers of anybody getting to know themselves better from my research was just giving it a go, just seeing what you kind of chime with and what feels good to you and my problem I know was that I spent a lot of time I was very lucky because I was teaching at a school throughout my degree so I sort of knew that 
I could be a teacher and that I was good at teaching and that I liked it. But I, that, that was something that I sought out for myself. Otherwise, um, my real um, pre-professional experiences were being in the orchestra. Mm. And so that was sort of the coat I tried on. And I'm going to be honest, it pinched on the arms a bit, but nobody knew. Um, so I just kept wearing it because it was fine. And then so I got out of college and I just started auditioning for like sort of schemes and things like that. And I didn't really have like loads of success. I had a reserve place on an orchestral academy that then sadly the principal clarinet didn't break their arm before. So that was it. <laughs> um, <laughs> career and, downer. <laughs> and, and so I went for those things, but then didn't, yeah. um, but then didn't ultimately achieve them. Um, but quite a lot of the people that I interviewed talked about how actually the best things happened to them when they went outside of their comfort zone, first of all. So my first thing is go out of your comfort zone, even if you think that you're not gonna like a thing. You're not married to the decision if it's an hour workshop. Uh, so one of my participants talked about how she led a workshop for adults and she was absolutely terrified before. She thought, I'm never gonna be any good at this. And she did it. And she said, I got to the end and I realized I really surprised myself. I liked it, I was good at it, people enjoyed this workshop. And now she does, a lot. well, at the time of interview, she was doing quite a lot of workshop leading and it's quite likely that those things go hand in hand. She tried it, she liked it, but she didn't think she was going to. Similarly, I met people who said, I don't like teaching, I'm not good at it, so I'm not gonna do it. And I said, tell me about a time that you um, did some teaching and realized you weren't very good at it. And she said, I never tried it. And I thought, mm, okay. <laughs> so the reason why I say try on all the coats is because you would not buy a coat and say, this is the coat for me without trying it on first and wearing it and looking at it with your other clothes. You know, you take it, I mean, I certainly do. I then take it home and I try it on with the other things that I think it'll go with. And then if it doesn't go with it, it goes back. Um, but you wouldn't do that. But why would you do that with a job role? That's something with a coat, you can get rid of it. And with a job role, you can get rid of it as well. That's um, mm. another thing. But um, you you should just try different things and don't be too don't be too het up about what you think is going to suit you. Because we all see this this analogy continues, you know, we all see uh, things yeah. on camera which we think that looks horrendous. And then you think and then your friend goes, go on, try it on, try it on. And then you put it on, and you go, Hey, I look really good in this. And <laughs> you realize, and also there are things that you you grow out of. You can outgrow things, and you can change your mind. And um, we've all worn that thing that was really fashionable, but yeah, it was really uncomfortable. Uh, but nobody knew, and they kept complimenting you in it. And so you went, "Oh yeah, I'll keep wearing it." You know, you're thinking, "It itches so much. It's just, it's horrible." And we sometimes, I think, as musicians, we can get very caught up in the idea that there are some jobs that are the best ones and so we hold on to those even if they're not mm. really suiting us um and similarly we're not willing to try things because going outside of your comfort zone is hard but what i say to all of those people who say they don't want to go out their comfort zone or they feel afraid doing that is actually as a performer at music college you put yourself out there every day um every day you pick that instrument up or you've sung or you've shown someone your your work that you've composed or whatever um and you've done that and you've offered that for criticism that's yeah. really and that's super uncomfortable if you can do those things you can also go out of your comfort zone and do something new um and just see where it leads so don't limit yourself too early on and when you start finding the things that you like stick with it 
and and see where that goes as well because there's so much out there and you have so many skills um and so that's the main thing that i would say is just don't be afraid to try stuff and don't be afraid if it doesn't work out either just at, at music college you've spent a long time unfortunately i don't know certainly for me at music college your mistakes sort of followed you a bit you would be scared to do to do things just in case people were like oh that wasn't very good or that that mm. that what in real life that does not apply <laughs> so try things see how it works and if it doesn't just move on wonderful fantastic advice thank you so much kate um where can people find you if they want to know more about what you do um i don't currently have a website and i need to take my own advice by getting one of those so watch this <laughs> space for that uh, but in the meantime you can connect with me on twitter where i am at k underscore b stone um and also um i've been doing some project management this year for young classical artist trust where we have um, a career development program free events resources all sorts called 21st century musician um, i've been working on that um so you can you can go on that website and find some things that have been written by all sorts of people sort of based upon what i know people need um and also you can sign up to the newsletter which is spam free once a month um just with details of what events and resources are going on that month wonderful thank you so much for all the valuable information that you shared with us today kate as a musician and working in music myself, I agree with you completely that it's vital to understand how there are other careers in the music industries and performing. And most, most importantly, these careers are worthy and can bring you high levels of work satisfaction. As you mentioned, there's clearly an incredible amount of pressure from society and from one's internal evil voice to think that if we're not performers, we have failed as musicians. And it is key to demystify this. So thank you for that. I found it fascinating to understand how the transition process is divided into three major episodes, the time before transition, the transition and post-transition feeling, and how the uncertainty that follows a major life change can act as a motivator itself. It's also relieving to hear that this is a common feeling and we're not alone. Finally, it's clear that dealing with these issues is not only a personal task, but also a societal responsibility. There's a gap in our education that results in society undervaluing musicians and freelancers to the point of thinking of these terms as synonyms for not having a stable job. I liked your metaphor of didn't all business owners start as sole traders because it proves how ridiculous this idea is. So listeners, if you feel like this conversation speaks directly to you, then you can follow Kate on Twitter and stay updated with her research on at K underscore B stone. It's been a real privilege to have you here, Kate, talking us through the struggle and the tools that we have to overcome it while making peace with uncertainty and finding a music career that makes us happy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's been really great to talk about this stuff.